Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Colossians, if you would, please. We're going to reflect on Colossians chapter 1, and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to add a number of different things to the message today as we reflect upon this passage, some personal observations, and uh, some personal thanks to the body of believers here and to the ministry of First Baptist, some history as to the church and the trajectory of the church that uh, had amazing peaks throughout the history, and some very deep and dark low places in the church as well. You know, as I reflect upon this Sunday, and it, and it does seem to be in many ways a letdown kind of Sunday for many people, attendance is usually a little bit shy, and we're busy with a lot of different things. When I was a younger man, And that was a long time ago. I've been doing this more than 40 years now. I know I don't look that old until you're close to me. And then then you see, I used to think, okay, there are certain times of the year and certain messages that I don't have to charge as hard on. Tendons is going to be light. But boy, there are certain days that I really have to bring it. Let me tell you something I've learned in my life that I must bring the truth every single Sunday because I never know what God is doing and the hearts of His people or the people who watch us online. So if you're looking for three points in a poem, you came to the wrong place, but you should know that already. If you're looking for some encouragement from the Word, boy, I have that in spades this morning, and I hope that it's a blessing to you. As we take Paul's message to the church at Colossae, as we, as we kind of focus on the church today, as we reflect upon what Paul is saying to the church at Colossae, and then make some personal application to First Baptist Church in Johnson City, I pray that it all comes together in a way that is pleasing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and and, and in a way that allows us all to grow up a little bit in the faith. Look at verse 1 of Colossians 1, if you would, this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, bless us as we open the Word, as we reflect upon the Word, as the Word takes us in its grip and changes and conforms, comforts and stirs, encourages and challenges. I pray that as we reflect upon that Word and Paul's prayer of thanksgiving, particularly in this first chapter, that you would be glorified, that the Spirit would have freedom of of movement and ministry this morning. And at the end of the day, in this season of thanksgiving, we can truly see and find things to be thankful for. We're a good God who's rescued us in an amazing kind of way and granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. May you lift our spirits. May you put words of thanks on our lips. And may you remind us that you are God and everything is going to be okay. Bless us. For the time we spend together, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, he's writing to a church that had received the gospel as it progressed throughout the world at that particular point in time. And he's writing a letter to the church at Colossae that is critical in our understanding of God and even the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's writing to a group of people who have faced false teachers and apostasy from the faith. He's writing to a group of people who are being threatened by an undermining of the doctrine, the glorious doctrine of Christ, minimizing His person and His gospel. He's writing to warn them of a relapse into paganism, and it's a really interesting letter. From this perspective, you would think that in this first century, you would think that in this early stage of the church, there would be no need for Paul to write about these things. The church is in its infancy, and God is doing a great thing as the gospel is spreading throughout the world, but a simple reflection on a passage of Scripture in the book of the Revelation, and we'll reflect a little bit more on this later, reminds us that at the end of the first century, when the Apostle John writes his letter from the island of Patmos, this, this book of Revelation, he gives us a description of the early church, and it's not a pretty picture for five of those churches in that early century were being rebuked strongly by Christ through John's writing. There were a couple of churches singled out that were told to to keep the faith and to keep doing what they're doing. But even at the end of the first century, and perhaps the most glorious time of the church, there were challenges and there were struggles. And as the birth of the church was taking place before their very eyes, there was false teaching and false teachers, and the unbelievers had infiltrated the church, and it wasn't as perfect as we'd like to make it sometimes. In fact, the church never is as perfect as we make it to be, including First Baptist in Johnson City, including those churches that we run to from here. This indeed will be the place. We're an imperfect bunch at best. We mangle this Christian life and sometimes lose sight of the truth, and that's why he's writing. 
He's writing to encourage these people to, to keep the faith and not to relapse and not to be taken in by these charlatans who are preaching a different gospel and undermining the truth. He deals with such things in this letter to the church at, churches at Colossae of, of warning them of asceticism, this, this doctrine and practice of self-denial that can easily turn into legalism. I don't do that, so I'm better than you, Paul said. This is not what this is all about. Be careful of that. This is not a, a rule book of do this and don't do this. It's bigger than that. And he will eventually say the bigness of the church is rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he will spend a lot of time in his letter to Colossae articulating that very thing. He warns them of mysticism creeping into the church. We live in an age of evangelicalism where mysticism abounds, and we don't even blink an eye. He's warning them, be careful. Watch out for this. He's warning them of syncretism, being so culturally relevant that you begin to reconcile or fuse together different systems of beliefs to appease the people. These philosophies of religion, when melded together with philosophies of the world, ceases to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, in a very clear way, he says in chapter 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the Word, and not according to Christ. For in Christ, in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The church is not about the culture. The church is not about you. The church is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory forever and forever and forever. And God's people said, we're living in an age of the church where it's about us. He's saying, be careful and watch out. It's a fine line between cultural contextualization, understanding your culture, and ministering to that culture in a unique way. There's a fine line between cultural context and cultural syncretism. A fine line between being so wedded to the culture that we begin to soften the gospel to make it more palatable to the culture. And that's the syncretism that Paul warns the church of Colossae about. In particular, undermining the deity of Jesus Christ, hedging on the denial of His humanity, and preaching a gospel that says it is Jesus plus this. There's something else. There's wisdom somewhere. And instead of preaching on the preeminence of Christ. As you look at the book of Colossians, the churches of Colossae, they're good people. Born again. Remember, he's writing to believers. But he's writing them for a particular purpose in his introduction to his letter, that they might know grace and peace in very difficult and tumultuous times. He could be writing to us today. In fact, I think he is. There's so much to be gleaned about our lives and our ministries. So many warnings about contextualization, syncretization, asceticism, mysticism, 
and so many other isms that get in the way of the gospel. So he's calling them back to first things, and he will end the glorious chapter 1 by giving an unbelievable treatise on the preeminence of Christ. It is all about our Savior, and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So he says to Colossians, hang in there, be on guard, watch out. And all of this in the first century, the glory days of the church. What chance do we have? Well, that's simple. The same chance that they had if it is all about Christ. But when it becomes about you, and when it becomes about the culture, and when it becomes about syncretization, etc., 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 and ceases to be the preeminence of Christ, the church is in trouble. That's exactly what John writes. In the end of the first century, from the island of Patmos to the seven churches and the book of the Revelation. Last week, we delved delved into this notion of lament, this gift that you and I have in tumultuous times to cry out to God, to bring our complaints and our concerns, our confusion, our doubt to cry out to God in the darkest of places, in the darkest of days, and say, how long, O Lord? But even in those darkest times, God is at work in our lives. He is doing something, and if you've lived any length of time under the sun, it is sometimes in those darkest hours that God does His best work because He's got our attention. And when we talked about lament, we said it is okay that that we have a gracious and benevolent God who will hear us. Do you ever stop and think about that? God doesn't strike us down when we bring our laments and questions and doubt to Him. In fact, He assures us through His Word and His person that a better day is coming, and He takes us from our complaint of darkness into this glorious light and reminds us that for a while darkness, and then light. Uh, Paul says it this way in the end of the text that we read. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Are you thankful for that today? That's a powerful passage of Scripture. This is, this is so relevant for the culture today. And touching on what we talked about last week, it is extraordinary how little the New Testament says about God's interest in our success by comparison with the enormous amount that it says about God's interest and our holiness, our maturity in Christ, and our growth into the fullness of His image. J.I. Packer's reflections on rediscovering holiness. You see, he warns us that sometimes the Christian life Sometimes the New Testament church, sometimes our own whims want to make the story about us. So sometimes God adds to that story. Sometimes He allows things to happen in the midst of that story to remind us it's never been about us. It has always been about Him. And if indeed it's about Him, you always have grounds for thanksgiving, even in the darkest of times. These are dark times in Colossians. 
dark times in the first century, end of the first century. Read chapter 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation. The church is in a really bad way. How did that happen? In a mere matter of 70 years, the same way it happens today. So be on guard. Be careful. And watch out. Beginning in verse 9, we read Paul's prayer. But it's not just a prayer. I believe it's an admonition. And not only is it a prayer and an admonition, in my opinion, it is also a prayer of thanksgiving. And I want to include that and, and steal and capture some of the Apostle Paul's words today to offer perhaps a little bit of thanksgiving for you this morning. Paul writes, and so. And so what? So in light of your faith in Christ Jesus, verse 4. In light of your love for the saints or the church, in verse 4. In light of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, verse 5. In light of the word of truth, the gospel which has changed you. In light of your life bearing fruit and growing. In light of your understanding of the grace of God and truth. In light of all that is taking place. In light of that, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And then he gets into the specifics of his prayer, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He will pray for that spiritual wisdom and understanding and admonish them in four particular ways. He will call them to walk worthy. He will call them to a life that is fully pleasing to him. He will admonish them that they must bear fruit. He will admonish them that their lives must possess the good works in Christ Jesus. And then he says, perhaps most important of all, all of this is in the context of increasing in the knowledge of God. And that comes through the Word of God and through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, His Son. So from this day that we heard of your salvation and of your growth, I am praying regularly, knowing the needs in the city of Colossae and the churches there. I am praying regularly and asking, specifically praying to God that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, that you might be completely, totally and with a depth swimming in the knowledge of His will, understanding who He is and what He's trying to do in your life. Paul could assure that that would happen if he could return to Colossae, but he's in prison. He doesn't see a return visit. So he does the next best thing to remind them of what he spoke, to remind them of the faithfulness of the pastor, and then to say, because I can't come, I am praying that you might be totally and completely overwhelmed with the knowledge of the will of God, of His grace, and of His mercy, and of His peace. And you might be filled with the knowledge in this way, with all spiritual wisdom, that you, through the discernment of the Holy Spirit, might be able to recognize and embrace, to acquire and organize all of the doctrines of Scripture. And he will say in chapter 1, most importantly, the doctrine of Christ, 
and that you might not just have spiritual wisdom, but that you might have understanding as well, that you will know how to apply that in your life for these particular purposes. Now, here's what Paul is saying in essence. You cannot fully know Christ until you faithfully preach and adhere to the Word. So many people today are searching for an experience with Christ without the Word of Christ, and that experience lasts just a short amount of time, and they're always looking for the next fix. Paul said, here's where it is. It is discernment of the will of God from the Word of God. You can only know Christ fully by knowing the Scriptures fully, by having your pastor Epaphras preach fully the gospel, and you fully embracing that truth. Now, if you were to reflect on some of the things that were taking place in the context of Colossae and throughout the pages of the New Testament, you can see that, in essence, Paul is saying, in the dark times, in the struggling times, in the weak times, we're all called back to the Word. And every great revival across the globe has started with a return to the authority of the Word of God. If the Word isn't the authority, what is? The church or the church ministries and the people in the church, and we get it backwards. So as Paul begins to expound all this spiritual wisdom and understanding, He's calling them back to the book. He is calling them to repentance. He's calling them to return to the preeminence of Christ. He's calling them to purge these false teachers and get rid of these vain philosophies and keep the first things the first things. And how do you do that? You do it by the Word of God. That's the answer, Paul says. So you see John's writing in Revelation 2 and 3 and the churches that he took issue with, Christ himself, were the churches that had moved away from the Word of God in their teaching and in their behavior. The churches that would synchronize, the, the, the churches that would be guilty of syncretism, the churches that would buy into mysticism. He is, he's drawing that conclusion that without the Word, we're in trouble. This is historically and the struggle of the church. Paul's final letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he warns this young man, Timothy, you know what? There's coming a time where people will wander into myths. They're no longer interested in the Word. They will, they will acquire for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, to tell them what they want to hear to make them feel better of their wretched lives. And the challenge of the church, we're in the same place today. We can even look back into history of Western civilization to an event that took place in England through an act of parliament in 1662. It was called the Bill or the Act of Uniformity. And it came about through Parliament in England because of a group of rabble-rousers called the Puritans. You ever read about the Puritans? The church was in a really bad way in England. 
It had politicized itself. It had gotten away from the Scriptures. It had gotten away from the preeminence of Christ, and it was polluted. And along came these Puritans, a small band of people who said, we've got to get back to the Word. And they began to point out in the Church of England all of its flaws and failures, theologically and otherwise. And you imagine how that went over in England. People weren't really happy at these loudmouth band of Puritans saying, I call you to repentance. This is not the church of Jesus Christ. It's become your church, and that's a problem. What took place after this act of uniformity in England throughout all of its churches was what is called the great ejection. And what took place after this act of uniformity is they began to clean house and the churches and in the pulpits of England. And if you were a Puritan or preaching like a Puritan, calling the church to repent and calling out the sins of the culture, they took you out of your position and you lost your job. They silenced your voice. They made it a crime to preach Christ only. It became a a crime. How did that happen in the modern age in Western civilization the same way it's happening today? And there must be a clarion call to return to the teachings of Scripture. Can't let that happen. Or when it does happen, we have to call it out. And it's happening. Colossae. It happened through the history of the church. It happened in the 1600s, the 1700s, the 1800s. It's happening today. The solution Paul's writing about. He's he's praying for these people that they would be the solution, not the problem and all of that. And the solution, of course, is a return to the Word of God. It is the Word of God that is the very foundation for the unity of the church. That unity of the body is grounded solely on truth. We're such a mixed, ragtag bunch If we're looking for unity and ethnicity or heritage or like-mindedness, good luck. You can't get two people together and have unity of mind, let alone four or five hundred or however many people. It doesn't happen. But it always happens with a return to the Word and doctrine. This is where we stand. And let me tell you where we stand. We believe that every word in the book is true. And we believe that during the church age, Christ has got to be king. He's got to be king. It's not always a popular message. Paul says, in essence, gird up your loins and get ready. Get ready. I've learned uh, the hard way, sometimes through my own faults, failures, and mistakes, and sometimes through reminders of the painful times of, of ministry. People love the Word of God until they don't. I've been told a lot of things. My life in pulpit ministry, Pastor, it's always so heavy. That's because it's always so serious. What are you talking about? Pastor, what you're saying is just kind of hard to understand and do. Of course it is. Of course it is. Pastor, I'm not sure you should be talking like that. Somebody asked you. Pastor, why don't you just lighten up? 
against, about the lordship of Christ, I make no apologies. I will not lighten up. He is King Jesus and Lord of all. And you don't have an option to make him the Lord of your life. He demands it from you. If that's a hard gospel, it was the same gospel in Colossae. For the Puritans in England, for the culture today. I've been blessed in a lot of ways here at First Baptist in Johnson City that you've tolerated me, first of all, for 22 years. And that you've gotten used to take your Bibles and turn to place. That is rare in evangelicalism today. Or we put a few verses on the screen and then we pontificate for 45 minutes. I don't have enough meaningful things to say in 45 minutes, but I know something that does, and it's the Word of God. I want you to know that I'm thankful for you, for the freedom that I have in this pulpit to bring the book, to not hedge on the Lordship of Christ, to bring the heavy things, but it causes, causes all of us to grow. We grow up in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we begin to understand how the Scriptures fit together, and then we apply those, those Scriptures, and it changes, changes our life. So take this as a thank you to you. Did you let me do what I've been called to do in all of my weaknesses? Pastor, you get a little preachy sometimes. You betcha I do. A little pointed, Pastor. You, the Bible says you need to love. You read what Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees, and then you come back to me. Thank you for allowing me to come to this place and open this book and say, here's what God expects of us. That's a blessing, and it's rare in this culture today. In many ways, Paul's saying thank you for being willing to dive into the Word and to apply that Word and to live in that pagan culture that you're living in. And then he continues in the prayer, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully, 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 with the knowledge of His will and pleasing to Him. The walk of the believer is impacted by the truth. And if the truth is not impacting you, we begin to have to question the very foundation of our salvation. It is food for our souls. It is defining for our lives. And and what we know to be true has to be played out in how we live our life. Matthew Henry And his commentary on the book of James says, good words will not do without good works. You have to know first before you can do. But if you know, you have to do. If you only know and don't do, you become a legalist and get trapped in this asceticism kind of cycle. and, And other people need that, but not me, Pastor Jim. False. Or you just do. And now we are doing this legalistic kind of salvation, void of the power of the gospel to save and and to rescue. The Word of God must change how we live, the works of our lives, our walk, every part of our being. And that includes, this is a challenge for all of us, and it's an equal challenge for me, even the things that you think.
God changed that. It's a hard, hard road. So Paul is thanking them for embracing the Word, and he's encouraging and admonishing them, and I think in some ways thanking them as well that their lives are such that they are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, and He is pleased. Their salvation is not one point in time on the continuum history. It has an intent and a purpose in their lives. It has changed them. They are living out this truth, and they are bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It is showing itself to be true, the difference between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, connecting the dots. That's the kind of preaching that is needful and necessary. One of the greatest encouragements in in my life is not, it is not, Pastor, I've learned so much under your ministry. I thank you for that. And I want to remind you that you have learned by the Holy Spirit because we've been faithful to the book. You haven't learned from Pastor Jim, the Holy Spirit. By His grace, He uses this broken, weak vessel for His glory. What I like to hear even more, Pastor, I've grown so much. I'm thankful for time and time and time again throughout my tenure here that I've heard that by way of encouragement. Pastor, I've grown so much. It means that you understand the importance of the Word, and it means that you're making that Word a reality in your life, and you cannot know how much that sustains me in the challenges of ministry. And the challenges of ministry are great for every person who learns and grows and walks. There's a critic You just have to learn to live with that, to be comfortable in your calling, and to be thankful. And I am thankful for First Baptist Church letting me come into this pulpit without a muzzle, letting me call you, challenge you to live soberly and righteous in this present age, letting me admonish you and pray for you that, that your life would show your love of the Word and the encouragement that you give me by the things that are so readily seen in your life. You're different than you were when I got here 22 years ago. To God be the glory. That's a return to the Word. You say, Pastor, what about those who have left? Let me tell you something I've learned in my life. For every person that you're called to minister to, there are great strengths. But within every person that you're called to minister to, there are equal weaknesses. You have to learn to look at what people bring to the table as opposed to looking what they don't bring to the table. And you have to look past some things as God in His, His mercy and grace is molding people and conforming them to His image, not on your timetable, but His. So even in those painful things, God has allowed me to learn something. Maybe what I've learned is good. Maybe what I've learned is to, to release and let them go. But it will not lighten up. And I cannot stop calling you to holiness. And it begins with the book. And you've been a refreshment to my soul 
as I've seen it in your lives. I thank you in this season of thanksgiving as Paul thanks the church at Colossae. And how are we to walk? Bearing fruit, continued fruitfulness and faithfulness. How are we to walk? Increasing in the knowledge of God. We're not home yet. Did you ever notice that? I don't know about you. I just wish that I'd arrive someplace, sometime in my life where I could say, boy, I'm glad that's over. But we're not home yet. And it'll be over when, it, when it's over. As Paul writes to them, his desire, Paul's desire was that they might grow in spiritual knowledge in order to combat the dangers facing them. And that is why we bring the book. We are living in dangerous, perilous times. We must be equipped and ready for the battle. What does he say in verse 11? May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy strengthened with all power, to have a continued strength based on the promises of God that invigorates you in some of the most difficult and challenging of times. May your strength not come from you, but according to His glorious might. And His, his strength is perfect all of the time. To tie this to last week, I'd remind you that the enemy may reserve his strongest opposition for those who have most potential for expanding God's cause in this world. And that's not a message to you as an individual. That is a message to the church. Satan is a roaring lion seeking to devour the saints and destroy the church. So gird your loins, perhaps in the common vernacular today, put your big boy pants on. We're in for a ride. What are we supposed to do about it? We are supposed to gather together in public or someday in secret and get into the book and ask ourselves, what does this mean when I leave the doors of this place? It means that I must walk worthy, and that is going to come at a price. That's exactly what was happening in the churches of Revelation, and five of those churches were no longer willing to pay the price. And Christ says, I have this against you. You've lost your first love. There are two churches in that list, Smyrna and Philadelphia, who stood out. They weren't perfect, but in, to, to the church of Philadelphia in particular, Paul writes, you are, or excuse me, John writes, you are, you are faithful, and Jesus is coming soon, and then he uses an amazing phrase, hang on, hold fast, hold fast. Don't, don't, don't waver to the left or to the right, hold fast. I am thankful. The First Baptist is holding fast on sound doctrine, holding fast on the authority of the book, holding 
fast on the lordship of Jesus Christ, holding fast on the gospel of Christ alone, and preaching that neither is there salvation in any other. The strength of that freedom to preach the gospel comes from God's people and the church who encourage and pray that the gospel might be preached. I've been blessed, yet challenged in so many ways here at First Baptist, but I am so, so thankful for so, so much. So Colossians, find your strength in Christ for all endurance, to be patient in the circumstances of life and like the church at Philadelphia, to hold fast, to be patient with joy. Be patient with people. How can you be patient with people and bold in the proclamation of the truth? Well, that's a dance, if we can say dance in Baptist Church. That, that's a real dance. But we're not exempt from either one of those things. We must be bold in our proclamation. Be patient with people. And that's a dance, indeed. Aren't you thankful that when this strongest opposition comes, we have a God who knows, a God who encourages us in our laments to come and to cry out, to ask our questions and to express our doubt, even to bring a complaint? Aren't you thankful that some of the darkest times such times that we are so confused about what God is doing or if He's doing anything. In the darkest of times when the cacophony of voices run counter to what you're preaching in the Word, aren't you thankful that in the midst of chaos and the swirling nature of our world that all we need to do is cry out and we have the undivided attention of the God of all the universe? That's amazing to me. He knows our name. He hears our hurt. He hears our sorrow. And He's such a big God, He can take it when we bring our complaints. But He turns it into His glory, and He brings us back. C.S. Lewis is famous for his hermeneutic of pain, where he reminds us in his text the problem of pain. The real problem is not the way some pious, humble-believing people suffer, but why some do not. Suffering is just a part of life. You might as well get used to it. Lament is just a part of life. He goes on in that same text to say, pain insists on being attended to. And there's two ways we can do this. We can scratch itching ears and appease the masses. Or we can tell the truth. At the end of the day, C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures he speaks in our consciousness, but He shouts in our pain. What does He shout? I'm here. I haven't moved. Everything is going to be okay. Isn't that glorious? Paul's writing to a church that needed to hear this message 
not just with their circumstances, but the people that they're dealing with. They needed to learn in all of that to give thanks to the Father, verse 12 of this text. I'm reminded again of Psalm 6, and we reflected upon it a little bit last week. I am weary with my moaning every night. I flood my bed with tears. You say, I know that way, Pastor. And C.S. Lewis, excuse me, C.H. Spurgeon reminds us that the sovereignty of God is the pillow on which the Christian rests their head. It's a message that we need to hear. He said, this is going to get hard. You need to be strengthened and built up for this task. And as we cry out, as we complain, as we plead with God, He hears us and He fills us. And you know how He does it? His Word. His Word gets back to where we started, doesn't it? He takes His Word. I marvel at what God does through His Word and His Spirit in your lives. When you come up to me after a service and say, Pastor, thank you so much, and I walk away thinking, that's not intended what I… I, I didn't have that even in my notes. I don't know where that came from. It came from the book and the Spirit, and we must remain faithful. We have to remain faithful. He does what only He can do. Stephen Curtis Chapman, one of my favorite Christian singers and songwriters, a long, long time ago, wrote a song called His Strength is Perfect, long before he would go through the darkest time of his life and family. And he reminds us, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, but sometimes I wonder what he can do through me. No great success to show, no glory of my own, yet in my weakness he is there to let me know His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. Colossians may be strengthened with the power of your King and the endless, endless strength that He brings. He'll carry us when we can't carry on. Do you ever want to say, I'm out, I'm done with this? Take it to the Lord. He'll carry you. Raised in His power, the weak become strong. His strength is perfect perfect, perfect. His strength is perfect. He is praying that for this beleaguered group attacked on so many different fronts, resembling so, so much the church that we reside in and the age in which we reside today. So, in the end of the day, as he is praying and admonishing the believers in Colossae, in the end of the day, as he is providing his thanks and thanksgiving for them, he also brings them back to a particular place that is critically important. It was the same place that he started, and the place is this. This is all about Christ, not you. It's okay to be thankful for spiritual blessings, it's okay to be thankful, and you ought to be thankful for answered prayer. It's okay to be thankful for all the good and perfect thing that God does in your life, but it's also okay to be thankful in the darkest of times knowing that He's still doing something for His glory, and He will never take you to a place where His strength is not able to see you through. That's what He's praying for these people. That's what He's promising these people, and He promises them this 
under these premises, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. And although I'm thankful for you as people, this is not about you. I am thankful to the Father who has brought you through His Son and to the church at Colossae for His glory. I just ask that you be strengthened for the perilous times that you are living in. It's always, always resulting in the glory that comes to God and God alone. I'm rereading a book that I'd read some time ago. It's by Carl Truman. I like Carl Truman because of his wit and his sarcasm. I have a tendency to do that. And he writes in such an enlightening kind of way. And he writes a book. Actually, it's a, a culmination and a collection of all of his, his, uh, his articles that created a stir in the church. And it's named, uh, Fools Rush In Where Monkeys Fear to Tread. And he says this about the Western church and losing our sight that it is the church of Christ and Christ alone, not your church. And God doesn't exist for your happiness. This isn't about you, but for His glory. My special destiny as a believer, and we hear all kinds of stuff on preaching today about your special destiny, like you are the center of your universe. He says that's baloney. My special destiny as a believer It's to be a part of the church, and it is the church that is the big player in God's plan, not me. That puts me, my uniqueness, my importance, my role in definite perspective, and this is exactly what Paul was trying to bring to pass in the city of Colossae. I hear you. I know your challenges. I am so thankful and grateful to you. I pray for your strength, but I also need you to know this is not about you. God has done this. So give thanks to the Father who is qualified to you to share in the inheritance of the saints. For He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, and it happened in a second. As we exercised our faith in Christ alone, we went from broken vessels fit for destruction to children of the King. Isn't that glorious? (laughs) He did that. One of the biggest problems in the church today, and so much of what is happening, is that we think the church is for us and about us, and we're really important. When the gospel reminds us, it is not for you, nor is it about you. It is about the King of kings and Lord of lords, your Savior, Jesus Christ. He took you from where you were, and He placed you where you are. All praise and honor and glory to the King, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you know Him? seems to me throughout the history of the church and even today. People are looking for churches that make them feel special and important and unique. And what they really need is churches that lift up the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, who open the book and tell the truth and call everybody to conformity to the image of Christ. If the church is to stand It cannot and never will stand upon His people because we're a weak bunch. 
because it's his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And for that, I'm thankful. It's a mixed blessing. I'm thankful for you, freedom in the pulpit. I'm thankful for you and then your, your growth and the knowledge of the will of God. I'm thankful for you and the way God's changed your life. I'm thankful for you for sharing your story of grief and darkness and pain only to give praise and honor and glory to your king who will give you the power to get through that. But in the end of the day, this is not about my glory or your glory or the glory of First Baptist Church. It is for the glory of our king, King Jesus. And that is what Paul writes and prays and admonishes and is thankful for, for this church that exists in Colossae in various places. So as we take that and apply it to our own situation, we do not lose heart. And though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day by that word and by that truth. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You haven't seen anything yet. As we look not to the things that are, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And you cannot know the difference without the Word. You cannot know the difference without the Word. Father, we thank you for your goodness, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the churches that have gone before us. We thank you for their struggles and what we can learn from them. We thank you that we can turn to the Scripture, and we thank you that the church is not about us. What a mess we would make of it. We thank you that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your dear Son. We thank you that we have redemption from our sins. We've been bought with a price. We're thankful for Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that comes through Him alone, and we're thankful that we can stand in this place and represent the church of Jesus Christ at First Baptist and gather together to open the book, to live the book, and to be reminded of the book so in the darkest of days we still find strength. We do not know the future, but it appears we're entering into another era that is so different from the last 20 or 30 years. May we find strength in You through the Word and through our glorious King. To Him be glory forever and ever. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.